I'm used to seeing myself bald. You know, for so right. many years, I was bald. And my kids were like, I don't like it, Dad. And I'm driving through a Chick-fil-A one night in Chicago. And this young girl goes, man, you look really young. I was like, I'm keeping it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. Hey, everybody. What's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into Season 7 of Half Forgotten History. Got a lot of great guests for you lined up this season. And we're excited to kick it off with a Hall of Famer. Of course, that's what we do. We're starting off with this week's episode with Brian Urlacher. Now, Brian thought he knew what he was getting into when he was drafted in the first round by the Chicago Bears to play middle linebacker. They have kind of a legacy at that position. And then when he got to Hallis Hall, he realized it was way more than he thought. We talk about all of that with Brian, plus, yeah, the hair. Enjoy. All right, let's start with this one. Do you still get angry when you see Tom Brady juking you out in that game at Foxborough? <laughs> I never got angry when it happened. Uh, you know, I've dealt with a lot of <laughs> flack because of that uh, juke, man. I, I don't know what happened. I thought I was going to hit him pretty good, and he gave me the old super slow motion, like, dead leg, and then I was like, damn, I missed him. And uh, the thing that made me mad was when he got up and went, you know, his patented first down thing when he yeah, got the yeah. first down. I was a little mad about that, but, you know, it's Tom Brady, so I can't be that mad. People don't realize how fleet of foot he is. That dude's fast. He's he's slippery, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons he was able to stay so long is, like, nobody ever really got a good shot on him. And, and when you did, you got a 400-yard penalty. You know, you couldn't, uh, you, <laughs> you couldn't hit the guy. You couldn't do anything. But, yeah, he's just, aside from the fact that he gets rid of the ball really, really fast and never really gets, like you say, doesn't really take shots, you know, there's a reason he's the best of all time. So I, I guess growing up in I know I know you're born in Washington, but you grew up in, in New Mexico. Yeah. When did you uh, did you ever really think that this was going to play out the way it did for you? No way. You know, I, I grew up a huge Cowboys fan. I always loved I love football from a young age. I just I, I was happy to get a chance to go to college and play football because that means I would got to leave my hometown, of Lovington, which hardly anyone ever does. You know, it's it's hard to get out of there once you're uh, yeah. kind of stuck in the oil field business. You, you do that. Everyone's family does that, which is not a bad thing, but. I, uh, I was fortunate enough, we couldn't afford to pay for college, so I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship from the University of New Mexico, and then um, yeah. got out of there, and, and you know things went the way they did after that. But you wanted to go to Texas Tech, right? Wasn't that what I read somewhere? Yeah, man, I thought, you know, I went to their football camp before my senior year, there was like 600 kids, I was the most outstanding camper. I thought for sure they're going to offer me a scholarship, you know, there's no doubt, they asked me if I could walk on, and it's a little expensive for me to go out of state. Uh, to a nice yeah. school like that. So UNM was the choice. Um, what was it like when you were sort of being recruited? Like, when did you realize, hey, I might be able to play at the next level? It was, You know, I started getting letters my junior year from Cornell. I was like, whoa, this is Ivy League. I must nice. be doing something right. You know, I didn't, obviously I wasn't going to go there. But uh, Cornell, and then I got some letters from some smaller schools. And then UNM started recruiting me. And I took my visit there. You know, the recruiting my process was it's so much different now than it was back then. But yeah. I got a letter, and then they asked me to come on a visit my, during basketball season my senior year. So I went. And the last day before I was supposed to go home, Coach Franchione pulled me in his office. He's like, hey, we'd like to offer you a scholarship. If you don't take it now, we're going to give it to somebody else. I was like, um, cool, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> it wasn't a, a very hard decision to make, I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, he, he didn't give you a lot of time to – Take it over, take it over, take the weekend. No, I need to know right now because no. the guy waiting outside, if you don't take it, he will, right? You're exactly right. You know, I, I went in there. My parents were waiting for me to, to drive back to Lovington. It's four hours from Albuquerque. And he was like, you know, great weekend. We were glad we had you up here. Um, we'd love to offer you a scholarship if you don't accept it now. 
will probably be gone when you decide to take it. I was like, I'll take it. No problem. Sign me up. And, and people, like, I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like, that happens all the time in, in, in this in this uh, sort of scholarship game, right? Because they're always willing to offer you as long as someone else isn't taking the thing that they're offering you. Yeah, it's and now it's changed so much because these kids get 20, 30 offers, you know, before they're even seniors. And I, my, I got my offer yeah. my senior year, and now you see these kids posting offer from Michigan, offer Ohio State. They have like 27 offers. Yeah. And they haven't finished high school yet. I'm like, damn, that must be nice. You don't have the opportunity to go to all these different schools. But, like, how firm is the offer, though, if you haven't signed? I mean, you can't get that so many. You can only go to one. Yeah. So, I mean, how legit are all these offers? Are people doing it because so-and-so offered you so that we should offer you now? I, I agree. It's almost like it's it's like the old Seinfeld episode. You know how to hold the reservation. You just don't know how to keep the reservation. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know? Yes. If I, I wanted, it might not be there. That's right. So if, if you get hurt your senior year, do, do they uphold those offers for you? Is every school still going to give you that offer if you, get, if you, heaven forbid, you get hurt in, in high school? So I just, it's confusing the way it works these days. So I have a high school, yeah. a, a son who's in high school right now. So that's how I know what, uh, he's always talking about people getting offers and this and that. So I'm like, okay, does it really matter until you actually go there? Yeah. And, until the, nothing's really an offer until there's pen to paper, right? That's exactly. just the way it is. And in, in, yep. <laughs> which was good. Which I, that was good ed- education for you going into the NFL about contracts. So that, that, uh, that, that sure. probably translates <laughs> yes. pretty well. No doubt. But yeah, it's come a long way since, uh, since then. But yeah, if you, nothing really is, matters until you sign that dotted line. So, so you went there when Dennis Franchione was the coach, but he left to go to TCU. And yep. you really blossomed at New Mexico when Rocky Long took over. What was it about what Rocky did with you that, that changed everything for you? you know, Fran was a great coach. You know, he's obviously gave me my scholarship, gave me a chance to play college football. But their defense, you know, I was a linebacker, and it, it wasn't the same as Rocky's defense. Rocky's defense was I was a rover. I played free safety slash rover guy, just running around making plays. You know, I had – Really had no – I did have some – you know, I had assignments every play, but basically it was run to the football, and I, I could do that. Yeah. I was a big – you know, I was 6'4", 245. I could run. And the thing he let me do was let me be a football player. You know, I played every special team. I played a bunch of offense, and I obviously played defense. But he just let me be a football player, which, you know, I would – I'll say this. We were better under Fran as a team. You know, and then when Rocky came yeah. in, I think a lot of those players were gone. So we kind of needed me to step into those spots. Um, I like to say that's how bad we were is that I played all these positions because we didn't have everybody else that could do it. I returned punts, returned kicks, but it was just fun. He let me be a football player and kind of show how my athletic ability. Did you love one position more than the other? Well, obviously I like getting the football. You know, <laughs> you know, I played receiver only in the red zone, so they threw it up to me. I never got hit, which was good. Um, the free safety was fun. You know, just think about running from 12 yards downhill at these running backs, you know, they're 190, 200 pounds. You know, I obviously I got juke sometimes. Right back on the Tom Brady subject there, but I did get juke. But I, uh, it was fun playing defense because especially 12 yards deep because I hardly ever got blocked and you had a free shot at the running back. Uh, I, I love the fact that you said they put you in at red zone. So you were like New Mexico's Mike Vrabel, right? He has the greatest <laughs> stat line in the history of the NFL, and you know yeah. because you played the position. Like his stat line is 12 catches for 12 touchdowns. Uh, and two in the Super Bowl. I mean, like that's, that's how many he as, has? A, as a defensive player. That's the greatest line. That's the greatest stat line you could ever have. That's incredible. Yeah, I had no idea it was twelve. Um, damn, that is, that's 12. amazing. So I had my senior year. I had seven catches and six were touchdowns. The other one was on. A, yeah. It was fourth and forty, and we faked the punt, and I didn't. I didn't get the first down. But um, damn, I had one catch in the NFL for a touchdown. So I'm batting the same average as him, just not as uh, many. That's amazing. Oh, I didn't realize he had twelve. 
Yeah, twelve. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, nice. two in two in Super Bowls, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. Yes. Then he went to Kansas yeah. City and had two more. He had ten with the Patriots total, and then just for fun, this last few years at Kansas City, he got two I, more. I like he's an automatic to touchdown. City. He's an yeah, automatic he's touchdown. Throw the guy the ball. It's going to be a touchdown no matter what. Easy. So you really, you really sort of blossomed under Rocky, and you got all kinds of accolades. Um, the draft is so much different now than it was even when when you came out in 2000 like what was your pre-draft experience what were you hearing what what was it all like because you were the ninth overall selection that year yeah it's amazing mel kuyper had me projected number nine to the bears his first mock draft came out and it had me going number nine to the bears and i was like there's no way i'm going to go that high in the draft you know i, I this is uh i think the, i don't know if we i think we've been to the combine already i'm not sure but I, uh, the combine was so big for me. You know, I went there, I wasn't going to do anything. I wasn't going to, I was going to do the meetings and stuff, but I, I was instructed not to run the 40 cause it's a, it's a slow track at Indy. So you don't run, yeah. uh, you do all the other stuff, but you don't do that. And then I was in the meeting with the bears and Greg Blosh should be coordinator at the time. goes, why aren't you running? I go, I, I was instructed not to. He goes, are you slow? I said, I don't think I am. He goes, are you out of shape? I was like, no, I'm, I'm in shape. He goes, then why aren't you running? You have every GM here, every head coach, every scout from every team. He goes, they're not all going to be there at your pro day. You need to run. I was like, damn, I'm going to run then. So thank God I did because, like, like I said, everyone saw me run. Everyone saw everything I could do. And I think it helped my stock. Not, not that it changed anything, but I think it just solidified my athletic ability and how fast I, I was back then. Yeah, it was. It, it, it is. Was. It is interesting. Yeah. Well, listen. Trust me. There's a lot of was in this face. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is. It, it is interesting, though, Brian. Right? Because I think the combine is going through this sort of metamorphosis from what it was when you were out there. Hey, we're here. You got to run. To almost a complete shift, where almost a, a lot of the top prospects now are like, no, no, no. I'll show up. I'll do the medical, but you come to my pro day. It's almost been like it's a, a complete 180 now. It is. It's so different. And, and you know, I, I get it with the guys at the big schools because there are going to be a lot of guys at their pro days anyway. You know, and I, yeah. and I understand the comfort level you have at your own pro day. You dictate what happens. It's uh, in your facility, probably a place you're pretty comfortable with. Uh, the combine is, is stressful because you're up every morning at 530 or 6. You're going through tests all day long, your meetings. And it's a little, it, you're a little out, of your, out of your element. You may not be as comfortable, but I think that's why they like guys that actually do well there because it's you know every game is not going to go the way you want it to go you know you get in those situations right. where you can't you can't control i think they want to see the environment how you respond in a certain environment with a little adversity thrown at you but but it is interesting like you were an all-american and you still felt like because you came from a smaller school you had something to prove as opposed to a guy who maybe wasn't an all-american but played at lsu or played at alabama or played at penn state that's exactly you're right trey because they always question the level of competition at these guys who come from schools or maybe not in the biggest conferences. You know, we didn't play at the, at the we didn't play the, the highest level of competition, but I, I mean, if it's amazing, if you can play football, they're going to find you. You know, they always find these guys. You look at Darius Leonard in, in Indy, you know, he went to a, yeah. uh, was it South Carolina state? They found him. South Carolina he's, state. Yeah, yeah. He's done great in the NFL. If you can play, they're going to find you, but they do question. I think sometimes the level of competition you're playing against. And if you're, athleticism or your ability will hold up at the at the highest level well yours definitely did so first of all before we go any farther kudos to mel kuyper jr a lot of Nailed people it. give him grief for getting all the stuff wrong he had you yeah. right from the get-go in 2000 i'm gonna make sure i, I send this yeah. clip to mel so he sees that <laughs> yes he, he nailed it from the first mock draft he put out he had me there and it, it, i was like there's no way i'm gonna go that high in the draft and he was right when you got the call congratulations you're a chicago bear when did it hit you, I guess, what that meant to be a middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears? Because, you know, that's like being a center 
for the Lakers or a center fielder for the Yankees. You know, yeah. a middle linebacker for the Bears is different just because of the lineage of the position. It's a huge – I didn't realize it, and honestly, Trey, until I got there. I, you know, I, I grew up a Cowboys fan. I didn't really watch the Bears. I knew who Walter Payton was. I knew the 85 Bears. I knew Singletary and Buckus, but I didn't know the tradition, how rich it was until I got there. And then the media doesn't – they don't let you not know. You know, they, they right away they're yeah. like, oh, what do you think? And I, was, and, I, and I got there to put me outside linebacker. I knew I'd probably be middle eventually. Wasn't sure when. But outside was the fastest way for me to get on the field, we thought. Um, but you know right away the lineage and how, not just middle linebackers, but defense in general. You know, the fans love defense in Chicago. They love yeah. six to three football games. <laughs> they love, you know, yeah. some, whatever it is, low scoring games and the cold weather. That's just, that's the way it is. But you, I figured out pretty quickly what it was like, what, what the expectations were of a linebacker there. And I hadn't play, started to play middle until, I guess, the second game of my rookie year. I, I, got, I went the second half versus Tampa. Well, it's interesting that that the first game that you would play middle line would be against Tampa because you will forever forever be sort of known as the prototypical Tampa two Tampa linebacker, two. Yeah. right? And, and for people that don't know, it just so because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have heard that phrase. Just explain yeah. to everybody what being a middle linebacker in the Tampa two defense requires. So, well, it's actually the Bear two, Trey. We changed that. Yeah. You know, we, we love we got Chicago <laughs> because fair, it's not, fair Bear two. So it's not really – we didn't play the Tampa 2. In Tampa 2, when they ran cover 2, the middle linebacker turned and sprinted down the middle of the field. You know, if it was a pass, Sheldon Quarles or whoever with the middle – he was gone. You know, he's running 30 yards deep. And when Lovey got to the Bears, we changed it because – so I'm 6'4". So I don't have to go as deep down the field to get the ball above. You know, they have to elevate the ball when I'm down the mm -hmm. middle. So we uh, we gave me a chance – and plus we had Lance, really good linebacker. Peace yeah, Tino, Lance Briggs, very good. Samoa. We had uh, Nick Roach for a while. So we could – um we could change our drops based on different routes the teams were. So I, when we got here, we changed it to bear two because I wasn't essentially turning and sprinting down the middle of the field every time. Now, third and long hours that you go, but it was just a term that was used because you knew every time you saw cover two from Tampa, that middle linebacker was sprinting down the middle. And then when we changed it to bear two, I didn't always have to run down the middle. Now, at the beginning when Lovey got there, we did. It just took me out of so many plays. I didn't feel like I could be around the line of scrimmage because – Cover two, 40 yards down the middle of the field every time, trying to make sure we don't get beat down mm -hmm. the middle. So we did um, we did change it quite a bit over the years, and every year it changed. But but it had to be somewhat of a compliment. Like you said, you're 6'2", 245 pounds. Six four, the six idea four. that they thought sorry, you – 6'4". 6'4", sorry. That's on me. Still That's, six, on me. Still six, That's on me. <laughs> I haven't started uh, shrinking yet. There you go. Um, trust me, it'll come. Uh, no. But I, I think that I, I think that that's a compliment, even though it wasn't what you wanted to do. They believed that you could do that, right? There aren't many linebackers sure. that would play that position that could go back forty yards if they had to. Yeah, I think the combination. I was so lucky. The combination of size and speed back then was, you know, it was different because most guys who played middle were six one, two twenty five, two thirty, and they could run. You know, they could get down the middle, which yeah. I could run at my at my size as well. But it's funny. I was talking to Drew Brees one time, and he said, you know, we practiced against your cover two team all, all week long. He goes, and we always still the seams. You know, we, in practice, we, the seam was always there. And he goes, what you couldn't take into account was how tall you were. Because in the games, yeah. you, that ball has to be elevated, which gives it to the safeties a chance to break on the football, which is what you want. You want those guys to have a chance to close on the ball and also get over me at the same time. So he goes, so in practice, it was easy. But he said, in the game, you just can't take into account how tall you are and how high you have to throw the football. So that was a compliment from, from one of the, in my opinion, one of the best of all time. Yeah, and also because he was really short, so that also exactly helped. he was. I look, well, I looked, I looked huge to him because he was, you know, Drew six six feet. I'm six four. He's like, I must look like a monster to him. 
Yeah, I, I still think Drew might be five eleven and three quarters, but we'll we'll have that discussion yeah. with him when he gets on the yeah, show. We'll, if we'll you want to come on to me, that would be yeah, great. Sure yeah. would. So, did things really change for you in Chicago when Lovey got there? Like, was that the perfect combination of a player and a coach? It really was. You know, I, and Dick Jerron and, and Greg Bosch did a great job my first four years. Yeah. But man, once he got there, the the, the thing that did he simplified our defense. You know, it was we go into a game with like six calls. You know, most most teams have this this sheet of that's uh, crazy. And we go into a game with six calls, so there was no question what you're supposed to do. Every single play, you knew exactly what to do. There was no thinking. It was just reacting. And I think that's where he my, – my game took the next step because I was just reacting when he got there. I wasn't thinking. I was – you know, my first few years, I, there, was, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I still feel like I played pretty well. My numbers would say that as well if, you, if, you like, if you're a numbers guy. But once he got there, I feel like my big plays went up, my picks, my uh, tackles for losses, all those plays that, in my opinion, matter um, stats-wise. Um, went up but yeah just there was no doubt what every single play what every guy on guy on defense was supposed to do what you just said there is really interesting because i think a lot of people don't understand like thinking sometimes can kill you right once the play begins, like the yeah the 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 thinking part happens pre-snap and if you're if you're thinking post-snap you're never going to make the play you're exactly right. And I think that's why teams do all those motions and things and shifts before the play. Yeah. I, I know that's why, because early on when they shifted, I was like, oh, no. Like my first couple of years, I was like, okay, now we have to go to this. Whereas when Lovey got there, their motion, all right, we go this. That happened, we go this. No big deal. So it, it was just bam, bam, bam. Now, now your gap doesn't really change. Maybe it does here. But, I mean, once the ball was snapped, you knew exactly where it, your key takes you to the ball every single time. It was so simple. As long as you knew your key, you knew where to go. Uh, we could just, you know. You watch our defense and how fast we played under Lovey. It's because no one questioned what they were doing. We just flew to the football. Uh, and it all sort of culminated in the, the 2006 season when you guys uh, ran through the NFC, went to the Super Bowl. Why don't we take our first break here? When we come back with Brian Urlacher on Half Forgotten History, we'll talk about that magical season and what might have been in Super Bowl 41. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaways, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. All of the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16 invites are out, and once again, Cinderella is going to make an appearance at the ball. The St. Peter's Peacocks strutted their way past Kentucky as an 18.5-point underdog and Murray State as an 8-point dog. Can the Peacocks keep the party going? Well, they're just the third 15 seed to reach the Sweet 16, and that's where the music stopped for the other two 15s to make it this far, Florida Gulf Coast in 2013 and Oral Roberts just last year. Both those teams did cover, though. In fact, Oral Roberts lost by just two points to Arkansas as an 11-point dog. St. Peter's begins this week as a 12.5-point underdog to three-seeded Purdue. The Boilermakers have failed to cover in 10 straight games entering the tournament, but made the number in both their first and second round games. Last year, favorites were 6-2 and two straight up and 5-3 and three against the spread in the Sweet 16. Find more of Trey's Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. 
21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467369. All right, back with Brian Urlacher on this episode of Half Forgotten History, a Hall of Famer, member of the uh, greatest fraternity in football. So 2006 was sort of a, a, a – you guys came out of the gate flying that season. Uh, but th- there's there's two things in the regular season that I remember. One uh, was obviously that Monday night game against Arizona, which was absolutely insane, the comeback in that one when everybody yeah. scored in a million different ways. And obviously the recurring theme from Lovey, we're, we're, we're eight and one – Rex is our quarterback. We're going to be fine. We're 10 and 2. Rex is our quarterback. We're going to be fine. It felt like every week Lovey had to put in a qualifier that Rex is, Rex Grossman was still your quarterback. It's unreal the pressure that they put on him to change quarterbacks. And, and Rex, I think the first seven or eight games of the year had like 24, 25 touchdowns through. I mean, he was in the MVP, MVP conversation early on in that season. Then we played Arizona and I think he threw four picks and had a couple of fumbles, but we still won. You know, so, um, yeah, that, that, was, that game was crazy. We didn't score an offensive touchdown, and we won the game 24-23. It was, I mean, two defensive yeah. touchdowns, and then Devin runs the pump back at the end. But, and then Neil Rackers mi- missed the kick, a 37-yard field goal to beat us. You know, he hadn't missed yeah. a kick in like two years, and he misses this one. So it, it was just our night. And then, yeah, Lovey, I mean, defended. You talk about a guy going to bat for his players over and over and over and over. I feel like his whole head coaching career in Chicago, he had to stand up for well, – we had a lot of quarterbacks. So he was always yeah. at the podium defending his quarterback. So it was, a, it was it's tough to, to be him. Yeah, it was. And the, the other thing I'll remember about that that Monday night game, which was just so insane, it created, a, you know, a line for the ages for Denny Green. God oh, bless yes. him. You know, they are who we thought – that. when did you see that clip and realize, holy crap, we really, we really got inside his grill on this one? He is pissed. I saw it in the locker room after the game. So that I, I went to do an uh, interview right after the game with uh, who who called the game that game? Was it Joe Theismann and Kornheiser and, and yeah. uh, Toledo? Yeah. Maybe I'm not sure who it was, but yeah, I exactly did right. An interview yeah. with them right after the game, and I went in the locker room, and, it, and it, the locker room was nuts. I mean, that, that's the craziest I've ever seen in a locker room after a game because at halftime, uh, Lovey was like, "We're going to win this game." Olin Krutz was like, "We're going to win this game." There's no doubt. I was like, "Man, all right, I believe you, but you know, let's let's go do something. We need to score some points." Anyway. And then I got in the locker room after the game. I still had my pads on. I was looking up the TV. I was like, damn, Denny Green is pissed off. And he was saying, you know, they are who we thought we were. They let him off the hook. And we played them in the third game, the third game in the preseason. So that was like the litmus test. And, you know, preseason, you play everybody, blah, blah, blah. They beat us in the third game of the preseason. Doesn't matter. And then, you know, Leinert was the quarterback then. He was the quarterback um, uh, that, that game as well. But, we, you know, 
we found a way to win that game. Luckily, somehow we beat the Cardinals that night. And then you get into the postseason as the number one seed, and you guys get a scare in that divisional Ooh, round uh, against against Seattle. Like I, that one, that game was uh, that was a nail biter. I think I think Robbie made like a fifty yard field goal in overtime to beat them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we played them in, a, in the regular season, and beat them thirty eight to seven. We beat them up pretty good. Sean Alexander did not play in that game. It was at Soldier Field on Sunday night. We beat him up good. Sean was healthy for the playoff game. A little different when, when Sean Alexander was yeah. in there compared to the other guys. And and their whole offense changed. But, um, yeah, um, Jay played great that game. Remember Jay threw a, like a 60-yard touchdown to Greg Olson? Uh, and then Robbie makes a 50-something-yard field goal to, to win the game for us. But And then after that, we rolled – you know, we I think we beat uh, Saints 37-14 to 14 or 39-14 in NFC Championship. 39-14, yeah. And then we get to the stinking Super Bowl. So then you get to the Super Bowl, and it's first time the Bears have been there since Super Bowl twenty, when they destroyed uh, the Patriots forty-six to ten. It's it, first of all, you're playing the Colts, who were at that point were an indoor, you know, climate-controlled team, and yep. it's the worst Super Bowl weather ever. Like I've covered twenty-eight of these things, it's still to this day the worst weather for the day of the Super Bowl. It rained the entire game. You had to be thinking, this is ours. I mean, it's funny because everyone's like, oh, this is bear weather. This is bear weather. It's bear weather. And I agree. The weather that you would think the elements with what we played in all season long would favor us, but it damn sure didn't. You know, we put the ball on the ground. They put the ball on the ground. And what we didn't do, we didn't play good defense that game. They had 450 yards of offense. You know, they ran it. People don't talk about this. They rushed for 200 yards in the Super Bowl. That's not good. As a defense, that's not good at all. <laughs> so, you know, Peyton no. threw it for 250, but they, they rushed the ball pretty darn good that game. And we, uh, we just couldn't. We played our cover two. Uh, we weren't gonna let him beat us throwing the football. The thing we did, we did get takeaways. You know, I, there's one play that's gonna haunt me the rest of my life. Uh, Mark Anderson caused a fumble, and I'm right there, and I try and jump on. And if I pick it up, I probably there's no doubt I score because I was like I said back yeah. then. Back then I was fast. I tried to dive <laughs> on it, and it just knocked. We end up getting the ball, but I, that play goes through my mind all the time because if I pick it up, there's no doubt I score, and maybe it changed the course of the game. I don't know, but just. Certain plays in every game, like I said, about I'm sure. But it, but it's got to be frustrating, right? Because your your instincts are okay. Don't try and scoop it because the ball is shaped weird; it could bounce. The yeah. safe play would be to just fall on it, right? And it still went against you. But that's not what we're coached. We're, we're coached to pick the ball up and score. Love from day one yeah. when he got there, it was scoop and score every time the ball's on the ground. And then my dumb butt tries to dive on one and just you know get the ball back. <laughs> you know, points were hard to come by for us in that game. So would have been not, hey, their defense was good then. You know they they started yeah. the playoffs that year. And their defense just – remember, they were terrible all season long. They were, like, number yeah. 32 in the league. And then when this playoff started, their rush defense went to number one. I was like, what the heck? Who are yeah. these guys? Bob Sanders should have been the MVP of that game. Uh, Peyton yeah. got it, but Bob Sanders should have been the MVP. Anyway, I, uh, that, that play haunts me uh, to this day. Well, well you're, right. you're right about two things here because I think week 16 of the regular season, they gave up 374 yards on the ground to Jacksonville. Like, the only thing that stopped Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew was the end zone. Otherwise, they yeah. could have run all the way to Tampa. You know what I mean? <laughs> the they, they could have gone as long as they wanted to. But you're right. In that run, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the playoffs, they started shutting down Larry Johnson and the Chiefs. That's right. Then they had to shut down Jamal Lewis and the Ravens in Baltimore. And then, of course, they got the Patriots at home in that AFC Championship game. Uh, that had Lawrence Maroney in it. But you're right. Suddenly yeah. that defense was amazing. So obviously it's the dream to see the confetti fall and realize you guys are winning the Lombardi Trophy. But the nightmare scenario is how quickly, if you're the team that doesn't win, they want you off that field, right? Off They're like, we field. got you got to go. You got to get out of here. Yeah, I had no problem leaving the field anyway, Trey. I, I was ready to get the hell out of there. After You know, the confetti starts coming down. 
And you know what's weird? I was watching the Super Bowl this year. The confetti didn't come down quick at all. I watched it. I, it didn't seem like the game was over. I was watching it. The Rams just won. I'm looking for the confetti. I didn't see any confetti. But our game, I feel like the clock was running. The crap was pouring on my head from, from the, uh, the Colts <laughs> colors there. The blue and white from the, uh, the Colts was raining down on my head. But, yeah, we got out the field pretty quick. And then, you know, they go right to the uh, interviews right after the game. So it was a pretty quick turnaround there. Yeah. Uh, and then you had another opportunity uh, in 2010. Yeah. NFC Championship game in Chicago. Aaron Rodgers and company, they drive down and score on the first drive. You know, first little, I think he had a bootleg out to the left, right? First two drives. Yeah. But then you guys really shut him down. And that game is going to ever be for known uh, as the known now as the Jay Cutler game. Like, was he hurt? Wasn't he hurt? All yeah. that kind of stuff. And I remember right after the game, you gave a pretty uh, intense defense of Jay. And, and you know, because a lot of people were questioning what was going on with his knee and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What was it like watching that uh, as a defensive player? So I didn't know that it happened. You know, I had no idea that he got hurt yeah. in the first half. And I think he came out in the third quarter, and he, he wasn't the same. You could tell he couldn't throw the football. I was like, what's going on with him? And the next series, uh, they put in, I think it was Todd Collins is who we had. He, or was it Quinn or Collins? Either, I, it's hard to remember. But they, uh, they put one of those guys in, and it wasn't good. And then Caleb comes in there in the fourth quarter and kind of leads us back. But Jay Cutler's a tough dude. I mean, I may not, he, he may not have made some of the best decisions on the football field, but that dude was not a bitch. He he was tough. He, yeah. he would play with He played with a, a dislocated thumb or a broken thumb the next season for the second half of a football game. So he he if he wasn't playing, it's because he was hurt. And I firmly believe that. And I knew that as a teammate of his, I knew the only reason he wasn't on the field is because he couldn't help our team win or he physically couldn't do it. There's just something about him, though, right? Like that smoking Jay Cutler theme on the internet is the greatest thing in the history so of the internet. Yeah. Like every every picture, the cigarette should be there. It looks like it belongs. <laughs> It, it does. Those, those things are funny. You know, and I wasn't an internet guy or an Instagram guy. I don't even know if Instagram was out when I played, but now I see those memes all the time. It's funny. It's just this, the way he comes across, I guess. I don't, I don't get it, you know, because he is – like the guy was talented. God, he, he made some throws. That I was like, whoa. You know, and he, some guys in the quarter in the NFL today can't make those throws, and he just – he does it at ease. He did it all the time in practice in the games. He just had a cannon, and he could run as well. He, he'd be great in today's game because his, his mobility – would be perfect for those that read option stuff that everyone does now. Obviously, slide when you get the first down, but he, he'd be good in today's game. You no, know, he had what I call arm arrogance. You know, like I'll make any yes. throw I want when I want to make him. Like Mahomes, like Allen, Stafford, Rogers. I mean, there guys. are very few guys. There are very few guys that can just say, "Oh, I don't care where you are. This is going to get me where I want to go." And he he definitely was one of those guys. He was for so sure. the rivalry with Green Bay. What was that like for you? Because you went through the transition. You had to you had to try and stop Favre. You also had to try and stop Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, they're so damn lucky. You, know, you, you go from Brett Favre for 18, 20 years, I mean, and then you get Aaron Rodgers for the yeah. next 15. I mean, so I, my career, I had 21 different starting quarterbacks in 13 years. They had two in over 30 years. It's amazing how lucky their damn fans are to have those quarterbacks. But, yeah, they're always good. You know, it, it – Anytime you have those two guys at quarterback, you're going to have a chance to win the football game, no matter who you're suiting up against. And there was, it proved that you know, they always won with Brett. They were, they were always in contention in our division with them. And then even more so with Aaron. The thing about Aaron that was different is um, Aaron does not turn the football over. You know, you know yeah. if, if Favre would give you a chance because it was arm arrogance. You know, he, he would throw some at you a couple of games you probably wouldn't catch because they were throwing so hard. But Aaron didn't do that. If you got your, ball in the hand, your hands on the ball versus Aaron, you made a good play because he does not put the ball in jeopardy. Uh, and pre-snap, he's just always in the right. I mean, and then later in 
um, at the end of Brett's career, they started doing the leg thing where they would, they would let you, you know, move your defense and they know exactly what you're doing. And Aaron was really good at that. But he was, in my opinion, he's, uh, he's when I finished my career, he was the best in the league. He's still the best in the league right now, in my opinion. He's, uh, he's done really well. Just the ability to take care of the football is, is something he's learned to do really well. So he was harder to, to defend than, than Favre because of that lack of uh, willingness to throw it up there, right? I just think his accuracy and, and you know, it, versus Rodgers, we ran cover two. There was one game we ran, I think, 50-something snaps, 55, 53 of them were cover two. We were not going to let him beat us throwing the football. You know, if they were going to run it, they would run it. We'd hopefully make some plays and give him a third and long and make a, and make a play, but we were not going to let them beat us um, throwing the football. That's just the way it was going to be. I think we need to go back and sort of revisit what you just said a few moments ago. You had 21 different starting quarterbacks yeah. during your 13-year career. Mm -hmm. Like, that's an insane number, especially when you compare it to the stability that you had in, in Green Bay and you had to play those guys, whether it was Favre or Rodgers, twice a year. It's not fair. It's not fair. It, right? I mean, like, if that, I, I don't know how you overcome that. Yeah. Well, we, we try, I mean, luckily, we, our defense was good. You know, we, um, w w even early on in my career, our defense was really good. Not, not just because of me, but we had some dudes, man. We had every year, you know, Dick, Dick Jerome was a defensive head coach, and Greg Blosh was a great defensive coordinator who got us, you know, we had Ted Washington, Keith Trailer. In the same year, they were both healthy. God, they were huge together. That that had to be oh, a linebacker's right. dream, having all that beef in front of you. Playing behind those two was just like, all right, let me see where the ball's going. Okay, just go to the football. Because there was really no <laughs> gaps. Because you'd have two guys on Ted and two guys on Keith. And me and Warwick Holman yeah. would just run to the football. It was amazing. And then, you know, Ted got hurt the next year. We were we went from 13-3 and three to 4-12. and 12. It was amazing how bad we got the next year. But we're still competitive on defense. And even, and especially when Lovey got there, that's when we really started – the takeaways and the touchdowns came because all we practiced every day in practice was taking the football away and scoring with it when we got it. What do you say to Bears fans who have been through so many? And it's still a thing, right? It's it's they're hoping that Justin Fields yeah. is going to be the guy. But I mean, I always say Bears great quarterbacks. Uh, let's outside of Jim McMahon, two years we go back to Sid yeah. Luckman. I mean, that that's what it's we're Sid talking Luckman's about here. You go, you're exactly right. You got to go all the way back to Sid because Jim was Jim was good. They won the Super Bowl, but. They had Walter yeah. Payton, they had that defense, and Jim, yeah. Jim was very good at what he did, don't get me wrong, but you look at numbers-wise, and Jay, Dick Cutler's number-wise was probably the best one of all time, if you're going strictly by numbers. I mean, he, he threw the ball better than anybody, he did uh, threw the most touchdowns, but it's just, it's, it's got to change eventually, right? I mean, I, ho I hope this kid, uh, Fields, is, is the one, but it's just, it's so hard, I don't, I don't get it, why, why it's so hard to be good at quarterback there. I like Mitch, I thought Mitch did a good job with, with what they had around him. But you're right. Law of averages suggests eventually Justin Fields could be the guy. I mean, you, you, yeah. you can't do this forever. Although Bears fans probably feel like it has been. Why forever. not? Well, why can't you? Yeah. You know, you get you get Rex in the first first round. Uh, you get, oh, you get K Big Noun in '99 in the first round. Then you go with Rex in 2005 or six or 2005. Yeah. Then you go Mitch yeah. number two, and you get Justin Fields number ten. And none of them have hit. I don't know if there's anyone between there. that's in the first round, but it's just it's it's got to be. I know it's frustrating as a as an ex Bears player. It's. Uh, not good. And the fans got to be even more frustrated than me. Is it frust Was it frustrating for you as a former Bear to see Aaron Rodgers score at Soldier Field this year and scream, I own you to all those fans? I honestly thought it was funny because, I mean, I hate saying this, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, the dude does not lose <laughs> to the Bears. When, when he's healthy, it, it's yeah. true. I mean, it's, I mean, if you don't like it, stop him. You know, if you don't like what he's saying yeah. or what he's doing, go out there and get him off the field and, and don't let him beat you. But you look at his record versus the Bears, it's pretty damn good. I'm not sure how many wins and losses he has, but I bet there's a lot more wins than losses in there. 
Yeah, um, I so, think the W column is a lot thicker than the L column. Yeah, there may be two or three single-digit losses, like his pick numbers every year. So I would, uh, yeah. I mean, if you don't like it, stop it and make him make him shut yeah. his mouth. Speaking of stopping it, you only played for one team in your career. Was that important to you? Was that something that you wanted to do? When I played, I didn't think about it, but looking back, it's it's a big deal. It's so hard to do that, especially these these day and age with with, um, with free agency and the way teams just cut you if you if you're older. And you make a lot of money, they just cut you. You know, it's not a big deal to them anymore because there's no loyalty. Unless you play for the Steelers, there's no loyalty in football. So it's not a big deal. But I, I was very proud of that, that I, that I stayed with the Bears. And it, it works both ways. You know, they had to sign me to keep me there. And whether it was earlier, whenever I got to free agency, uh, they took care of that. So it never really was an issue. It, it was, I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. And the hardest thing for someone like yourself, ultimate competitor, obviously highest level, Hall of Famer, is to know when it's over. When did you know this is it for me? What was it? Yeah, so my, my I played 13. My 12th year, the last game of the year at Minnesota, I hurt my knee pretty good. I tore my PCL, my MCL. I never had a knee injury before, so I was like, oh, it'll heal up. I'll be fine. And there was no surgery needed because the PCL is supposed to heal by itself. My PCL never healed. Um, so I went through the whole offseason not being able to train, get ready for season. And right before season, I started feeling better. And I, and I played that year. I played my 13th year, but I wouldn't. I was – out there, but I wasn't really playing because mentally I, I was still sharp, but I couldn't run to the full. I couldn't run. I was I was terrible. So after that season, I thought maybe I could do one more, but then they fired Lovey. So that just made it more clear to me that it was time for me to hang him up because, I mean, when you play for a guy like that for nine years and you, you go 10 and six and then he gets fired, I mean, I, I, number one, I was pissed off because I didn't think he deserved to be fired. I mean, he, he was my coach. He, uh, we, um, we love playing for that man, and then to, to go out the way he did with the way they, they did him was, was frustrating to me. So I kind of figured it was time. I, I don't want to play for anybody else, you know, whether it be another team or any other, any other head coach for that matter. That's interesting because Gronk has always said he only wants to catch passes from Tom Brady, uh, and, and Lovey sort of found his way back into head coaching yeah. in the ridiculous search for the Houston Texans. Uh, what would you say to Texans fans right now who – you know, are obviously like, well, wait a minute, this guy wasn't even supposed to be our head coach, and now he's our head coach. What yeah. would you say to all those Texans fans about what they're getting in Lovey Smith? They're they're going to get a really good brand of football. You know, a, a winning winning football. And, I mean, they may not win right away because it's not a, we know what they have on their on their staff, but their defense will take the football. And they did this last year. They weren't good last year. They weren't great, but they took the football away and they scored on defense. You know, I think they're they're going to see that continue and get better with them as head coach. And I think offensively, they they will try and establish the run, running the football football. That's just. You know, his brand of defense and running the football go hand in hand. You know, you keep the the defense on the side resting so when they are out there, they can run to the football. But they're, they're going to see a team that plays hard on both sides of the football. You know, the one thing about him that I will say is, is we did in Chicago, we played hard on offense, defense, special teams. Even linemen were running to the football. You know, you see a guy catch the ball down the field. There's five linemen sprinting down there to block someone or congratulate him, whatever it may be. The guys run to the football. I think there says a lot about – how he gets his point across to the players. You know, you, 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 you're going to play hard for him or you're not going to play, no matter what position you are. Yeah. Uh, listen, I wish him all the success. It's just such a terrible scenario in there uh, with the way they built it's that team situation. together. And just, why don't we take our second break? We come back. We'll talk to Brian Erlacher about the ultimate goal, uh, wearing that gold jacket in Canton, Ohio. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaway, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, 
Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? Because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. All of the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16 invites are out, and once again, Cinderella is going to make an appearance at the ball. The St. Peter's Peacocks strutted their way past Kentucky as an 18.5-point underdog, and Murray State as an 8-point dog. Can the Peacocks keep the party going? Well, they're just the third 15th seed to reach the Sweet 16, and that's where the music stopped for the other two 15s to make it this far, Florida Gulf Coast in 2013 and Oral Roberts just last year. Both those teams did cover, though. In fact, Oral Roberts lost by just two points to Arkansas as an 11-point dog. St. Peter's begins this week as a 12.5-point underdog to three-seeded Purdue. The Boilermakers have failed to cover in 10 straight games entering the tournament, but made the number in both their first and second round games. Last year, favorites were 6-2 and two straight up and 5-3 and three against the spread in the Sweet 16. Find more of Trey's Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467369. All right, back on Half Forgotten History with Hall of Famer Brian Urlacher. Okay, so you, you retire after 13 seasons. Uh, when did you really start thinking about the Hall of Fame? Um, probably a couple years after that, when because I didn't know I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how the induction process worked. I didn't know how you go five years. What I didn't know anything about it. I didn't pay attention when I played. I don't care. I didn't play football to go to the Hall of Fame. I played because I love the game, um, and I love my teammates and my coaches. But um, Probably a couple years after you start getting those phone calls and you got all the media talking about, oh, you, you could be a, you know, your, your, your first ballot's coming up in 2018, blah, blah, blah. But uh, as a player, I never thought about it. And then, you know, when you get done, you start thinking about it more and more because the people start talking about it. And so people started talking about it more. And did you think it was going to be a reality that quickly? No, I had no idea. You know, you always, you hope, you know, you look at my class, Trey, yeah, myself, Randy Moss, yeah. Brian Dawkins, Terrell Owens, Ray Lewis, um, Robert Brazil, Jerry Kramer, you know, Bobby Beathard. There's some pretty solid names in that class. And three of us went on the first ballot. You know, it's, it's hard. And that's, that's just the guys that got in. That's, that doesn't include the guys who were the top 15 that we had to, you know, uh, get voted in over the other guys that didn't make it. So yeah, I, I was surprised, you know, and, and excited to get in on, on my first try because it's hard to do. When you, when you got the news, what was the first thing that went through your mind? 
That's a good question. You know, I'm, you're with it. You know how it is. They put you in the hotel room at the at the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was in they Minnesota. keep you hostage. Yeah, they put you hostage. They make you a hostage situation. I'll tell you what. Being in Minnesota in uh, February, I didn't mind being a hostage because it was cold as hell there. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. We were cold, man. We we didn't want to go outside, and we we lived in Arizona back then too. So we were like, hey, let's stay in the room. But yeah, they put you in your room for like three hours. You got to wait for the for the all the uh, the uh, experts, sports writers, to vote on who's supposed to make it uh, based on their have, having never played the game. They get to vote on who, who gets to go in the Hall of Fame. Anyway, uh, I won't get into that right now, Trey. But, uh, you know, they, they – That's a whole different who, show. Yeah, yeah, it's a different time. But uh, you sit in your room. I was with my family. You know, my wife was there, my three kids, a couple of buddies in there. My agent was in there. And then you hear David Baker beat on your door. I was like, oh, God, this, is, this could be really good. You know, because if you don't make it, they call you. And if you make right. it, you get the knock. And then I got it. I was like, I mean, I was so happy. And David Baker's six eight, four hundred pounds. So I was like, an, an enormous Baker, human being, huge man. And I was just, I was so happy. I mean, such a nice guy. I gave him a big yeah. hug. Um, just he kind of relieved, honestly. You know, I was excited, but I think more relieved than anything because that, that, there's a lot of pressure, not pressure, but a lot of talk about getting in that first year. And I've heard guys, they're in that situation, they don't get in, and they're never, they're never in that situation again. So I was very happy to get it over with on my first try. Yeah. By the way, I tell you, I got to tell you a quick David Baker story. We went, uh, I took my son uh, to the Hall of Fame this year and he's, you know, he's, he's a, not even a kid. He's in his twenties, but uh, we saw David and David said to, to my son, he said, Hey, do you love your dad? And chap said, yeah. He goes, good. Cause we're in love with the same guy. Like David, David's <laughs> an all timer, man. Like I never heard that one before. I'm like, all right, yeah. David, you got me though. That was good. It just makes you feel like a million bucks when you talk to him, man. Everything is yeah. positive and he's just, uh, to, to see a guy that big to be as like nice and um, I don't even know the word, just like sensitive as he is, is, is pretty yeah. awesome. He was great. So I got to ask you a couple of questions here. Is there a player that you played with or against during your time in the league that isn't in the hall of fame that you think absolutely should be? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're Olin Krutz in my opinion. So I don't, so Kevin Mawai is definitely a hall of famer. No doubt. He got in, I think two years ago and he was on our ballot my, my year as well and didn't make it in. Him and Owen are pretty much the same to me. I think Kevin played a few years longer, but Owen to me was, you know, he made seven or eight Pro Bowls. He doesn't really get any talk about it. Um, and that's the guy I play with. Another guy that drives me crazy is Zach Thomas. If you put Zach's yeah. stats next to my stats, don't put our names up there. Pick one. See who's in the Hall of Fame and who's not. I and mean, we're very similar stat-wise. He may have a couple more All-Pros than I do, honestly. Um, I just, I don't understand. He's been on the finalist list a few years now, but those two guys right there, um, I, I mean, Devin, I think is going to get Devin Hester was on the ballot this year. Didn't make it. And I think he'll get in. Julius will get in the first ballot peppers. No doubt. He was a teammate yeah, of mine for a couple no of years, but, um, yeah, those it's, it's Olin and, um, and Zach are the two that really kind of frustrate me. Cause I don't, I don't understand how they're not getting more, more light to get in there. Yeah. Zach, Zach is a tough one. Uh, I, I, you're right. The numbers are what they are for him. So I don't yeah. understand what, what you're looking for. Um, okay, best hit that you remember from your career? Like one where you was like, oh, that was perfect. Receiving or giving? Uh, giving. <laughs> giving. giving. Right, and then yeah, we'll hear yeah. receiving. Yeah. So my rookie year, we were playing the Colts. And it was late in the game. We were a two-minute drill. And we were playing cover two. And I was the weak, the hook dropper because Warwick had been, they motioned over. So Warwick took the middle read. And E.G. Green runs like a little shallow crosser. And Peyton kind of leads him too far. And I'm literally running full speed because I see him throw it. And I hit EG right under his chin. And he, oh. he just did the somersault thing. And, it, you know, you know when you get something. EG's probably 190 yeah. pounds. So you know when you yeah. hit someone, it's, it's a great hit. And guess what he did after I hit him? Huh. 
He got up right away. I was like, damn. <laughs> you know, I thought I hit him really good. That dude got up, ran right back to the huddle. They ran. I was like, man, I thought I hit him better than that. Uh, but, yeah, the, the dudes in the NFL are tough. And I, that was yeah. – I mean, I gave him everything I could give him uh, legally. You know, back then you could do whatever you yeah. want to, so it didn't matter. It's not like – Exactly. Uh, worst hit you ever received? Oh, man. Eighth grade. I'm returning a punt <laughs> on the <laughs> on the sideline. And uh, I've never been concussed or anything. I may, I don't know if I was then or not, but – I'm, you know, I'm down, yeah. so I'm gone. This dude comes, Landon Temple was his name, big, big middle linebacker for Highland, and just, yeah. like, flattened me. Like, my, my knees caved back. I was right on my back. And I don't remember anything after that for the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, somewhere you just made Landon Temple's day. Like, I don't know where Landon is these days yeah. and what's he doing uh, in, in Lovington, uh, yeah. New Mexico, but somewhere – Somewhere, Landon Temple's yeah. like, see, I told you I was good back in eighth grade. I told you I was a monster in the eighth grade. Clean my clock. He had to be 60 pounds heavier than I was, too. The dude was huge. Yeah. yeah. We check his birth certificate uh, next That's time. That's right. Go <laughs> Illegal. Um, so you went through a metamorphosis after you stopped playing. You went from bald Brian Urlacher to <laughs> yeah. uh, reseeded Brian Urlacher. Yes, Tell me about that. Because yeah. you, you – Dude, you, I mean, you were, you were gone. You were Mr. Clean. I was, it was, I was, it was man. there. It was, it was so easy to be bald, Trey, because, you know, once your teammates start making fun of you for having these little, so I was bald from here and I had this little, yeah. I had this little peak here, the divots. The crown. So once, yeah. once your teammates make fun of you enough, you're like, I'm shaving this, man. I'm tired of dealing with these guys. So you just shave it and then it gets easier. <laughs> you get into a routine. You know, you, you know, you shave, I shaved every Monday and every Saturday, or I'm sorry. Tuesday and Saturday during season because I wanted to look good for game days. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted my hair to be bald, or whatever. Sure. But it was easy. And then after I got through playing a couple of years, a hair company restore in Chicago reached out to me and was like, "Hey, would you like to try it?" And I was like, oh, "I really, man." But you know, the good thing about it was the guy was like, "You won't have any scars. You know, no one's gonna know you got the procedure unless you tell them." So I was like, "Talk to my wife." She's like, "You know, I might as well try it." So I tried it, and you know, it, I didn't at first. I was because you're not. I'm used to seeing myself bald. You know, for so many right. years, I was bald. And my kids were like, I don't like it, Dad. And I'm driving through a Chick-fil-A one night in Chicago. Yeah. And this young girl goes, man, you look really young. I was like, I'm keeping it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. This girl, this young girl was like, oh, you look really young. She, she knew who I was. She goes, oh, you look really young. I was like, that's it. I'm keeping the hair. That's but all like, it takes. That's it. That's all it took is one girl to be like, hey, you look young. But yeah, so I, and I now now I now I can't uh I you know I, I'm so used to it now I can only think I can get rid of yeah. it. Mo- motivation comes in many forms. Um, <laughs> yes. When did you decide to go totally public with it? Like uh, I think some people do it like pretend that no one noticed. Obviously, yeah. because you were completely bald, people are going to notice. But you you leaned into it. There was no hesitation on your part. Yeah, well, well, so we had a plan. So the company we had a plan, and obviously I'm the spokesman for the company for Restore there, Restore Hair there in Chicago. But Jordan, the owner, had a plan of like we had to keep it under wraps for. Five months because I was my hair was growing, so I had to keep a hat on. I had to go, so I had to wear hats to places I shouldn't be wearing hats, looking like an idiot. Um, like going to like a nice dinner with everyone else all suited up, and there's me wearing my, <laughs> my hat cap. like a dummy. <laughs> so we had to try and keep it under wraps as long as we could. And then he had a, a release date, and then we there was this huge like media thing. And my daughter texted me. She goes, "Dad, did you know you're trending on Twitter?" I go. Is that a good thing, Pamela? But is, I mean, is that good or bad? She goes, no, it's good because, you know, because of the hair or whatever. But we did the huge release thing in Chicago, and it was a big deal. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't secret very long. Did you expect the reaction to be what it was? No way. I didn't, I, I'm like, who cares? So I got hair. What's the big yeah. deal? You know, I, didn't, I yeah. didn't think it was that big of a deal. But uh, obviously, 
people thought it was a, a pretty big deal from a, I guess, I, I mean, I guess when you know someone is bald their whole life, you know, yeah. it's uh, I guess it's a big deal. Listen, I'm all for it, man. What if, yeah. if, 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 if it takes a young woman from Chick-fil-A to tell you, you look good <laughs> with the hair, you keep, you keep that hair. Uh, well, that, that's a, my, that's, my a kids, that's a thing for me. So my kids were also okay with it too, because I, I didn't want to embarrass them more than I already do. Yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure <laughs> that they were going to be okay with it. And they were, uh, they were on board. Wifey, obviously, you know, she was like, oh, you look good. You yeah. might as well keep it. Goes, I think she said, you don't look any worse. So I think that was a, that was a better way to put it. We're on a sliding scale at this point in our lives, we right? Really are. Just to not yeah. look worse is sort of the way it I'm, goes. I'm going, I'm going this direction. Here's the real question. Would bald Brian Urlacher kick Harry Brian Urlacher's ass? <laughs> well, yeah, because bald Brian was uh, 260 and tough. Harry, Bri- <laughs> Harry Brian's 240, skinny, old, slow. Um, just trying not to get hurt. So when I work out now, my goal is to not yeah. get hurt, Trey. I do not want to yeah. get hurt. My number one thing is, uh, you know, I want to be able to play golf, fish, ride my yep. bike, and hang out with my kids and not get hurt. So I don't run anymore. Last time I ran, I pulled my yeah. hamstring playing softball yep. like a dummy. No, thank you. So I just want to. Yeah. I just want to ride my bike, my mountain bike or my road bike, whatever, and then eat and just hang out. That's it. How many hole in ones for you? One. I made it uh, three years ago on a par four. On a par four. Two hundred ninety-seven yard par four at our uh, Seville here, the, the place I'm a member at, and uh, obviously yeah. hit a six iron, two ninety, hit a punch six iron. Sure. I hit, dri- I, I hit driver. <laughs> I hit driver, and it was fading right in there. Just the, it. You know, sometimes you hit a good shot, and it kind of ends up behind the yeah. flag, and you think it's yeah. in the hole, and it's not, and you're disappointed. So that was my. I was like, oh, it's behind the flag, no big deal. But it was in. So very excited uh, nice. about that. That's a strong flex. If you have one, to have it on a par four is pretty good. I was uh, pretty happy. I'm still pretty happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still searching. By the way, this Are is you? A, it's wow. oh, it's so frustrating. I've had a I couple that I thought for sure. I've holed out a bunch from the fairway, but it's not the same. It's just not the, the same. I, I chipped in yesterday. I, I was pretty happy about that. I uh, I, I try to one. make a hole in one every time I play. I just I, it's hard to do. Yeah, I'm just trying to there's make no contact. Flag that I don't, there's no flag that I don't shoot at. I don't care. I don't care if there's water that. here. I, you I'm are the Dustin flag. Johnson of former NFL golfers. Then <laughs> he will shoot at any flag. What do you miss most about not playing anymore? I miss my teammates and I miss my coaches and I miss being in the yeah. building, like the camaraderie you have with not just your players and your teammates, but you know, your equipment manager, your, your trainers, um, the strength coach, the guys who give you the video to watch during the week, the, the AV guys, the, uh, just the people who made lunch. I, I miss, cause you think about it, you go every day for 13 years, you're around all those people, you know, you see them every yeah. day, you, you, you got relationships with them all. And then all of a sudden you retire and you don't see any of them. So for me, that was the hardest thing is just to not see, like I still talk to my teammates, stuff like that, but to not be around the people that I was around every single day for 13 years, you know, that, that was hard for me to kind of adjust to and then kind of come to grips with that. that that's not part of your life anymore. Yeah. In all the people that I've worked with and talked to, that's pretty much the thing. Look, they, they love the idea of playing, but it's that camaraderie, that, that feeling you get sure. of being together on something. And I think that's why football is different than almost any other sport. And, this, let me preach here for a second, because if, yeah. it's, if it's basketball, you know, if you have one or two players that are really good, you can dominate. You don't it's not as team oriented in hockey or soccer. A goalie changes everything. Baseball is a pitcher and a hitter. And eventually the rest of the guys get to play because the ball comes their way. Football is the only sport I know where everybody has to be pulling together or you are screwed. And that's what I love about it. You're exactly right. And, you know, you, you're, you're all and I, I literally say. I love going to work every day, man. You go in there and you just screw around for 10 hours. I mean, you go into practice, you got meetings, but 
you're with your 50 of your, I mean, 50 out of 50, uh, 55 guys you probably really like. And there's a few that you're like, ah, whatever. But um, it's so fun. I mean, I love going there. And then, then you're screwing around the training room. You're messing with the trainers. You're messing with the equipment. You're just always doing something. It's, it really is a bunch of big kids in there screwing around all day. And I, I loved going to work every day. I, I just, it was so fun to get paid to play football uh, for a living. It was, it was an amazing job. Well, listen, uh, I'm one of many people that loved watching you play, and it's, uh, it, it was great to see you go into the Hall of Fame when you went in. Um, and I always, I always loved uh, your career, loved the way you attacked the game, and uh, it was great to catch up with you, man. And I, 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 hope, it, uh, I, hope we get, I hope we get more par four hole-in-ones in your future very soon. I'm going to keep trying. I'll tell you that much. Every time I get if – if the hole's 350, I can get there, yeah. no doubt. I never yeah. do. But yeah. in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm driving the green. This is par four, three – I'm supposed to be on the green in one. Never happened. That's the but only it's the only way to play. <laughs> it is. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. So once again, thanks to Brian Urlacher for helping us kick off season seven of Half Forgotten History, but we're just getting started. Coming up next week, one of the more interesting players I've ever had a chance to cover and talk to in my entire 30 years of covering the NFL. He was also a first round pick. A team traded their entire draft to pick him, and then he decided, well, maybe football's not for me. Ricky Williams is one of the most fascinating people you will ever have a conversation with, and that's coming next week. We'll see you then on Half Forgotten History.